Great, great. Thank you so much. This begins my first series. I'm so excited. Godfrey and I were talking and he said, well, you're preaching almost two weeks in a row, so we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll do a series. And I have to tell you, the reason I was so excited was I, I had to take biblical preaching and I had to prep five sermons and I only got to preach one. So um, I was a little sad about that, but Godfrey remedied my, my pain. So th- this, this is the beginning of the series, You and Your Household. Something that I recognized right off the bat when I came to this beautiful church. Can you say amen? amen. This beautiful church is this church is family oriented. From the preschool to the AY to just the focus with the, with the children's choir to the focus on youth and early teen and young adult um, Sabbath schools as well as kindergarten and preschool, junior Sabbath school. It's just phenomenal. And, and I love that. I love to see that. Um, something that we as Adventists need to recognize is the importance of the family. We often will speak of the what? what? What institution will we speak of that was founded before the fall of man? The Sabbath, right? It's in our name, Seventh-day Adventists. Can you say amen? We are the, the guard, so to speak. We, we are the light of the world with, with this present truth of the Sabbath and its importance to us and its importance to God. But there's another institution that was also founded before the fall. And what was that? Marriage, yes. And if you had the opportunity to go to the marriage seminar with Nancy Van Pelt, you'll recognize that family is so very important to the end time, this end time movement that we have, to the revealing of God and His character. So, for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on something very interesting that you find in Scripture, and that's the idea of when one individual obtains salvation, oftentimes, what also happens? Their family, right? For instance, let's think about um, let's let's think about well today's topic Rahab. What happened with Rahab? She took care of the spies, and what happened? Her family was saved, right? And then we we go to to um, uh, the centurion Cornelius, and what happens there? What happens with Cornelius? He's faithful to God, and what happens when when Peter when he speaks with Peter? His family gets saved, right? So there, there's this, and, and in the inverse of that, which we probably won't focus on, what happens when someone fails? Or when someone denies salvation? What happens to their family sometimes in Scripture? The condemnation, right? Um, it's, it's, it's not a happy thought. I don't think that it's God just cursing the family because of this. We're going to be looking at why that would be. Why is... What happens? Why does a family obtain salvation when one individual is faithful to God? So today's sermon, as has already been said, you and your household, part one, we're going to be focusing on the story of Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. We're going to be looking at three things. The first is we're going to be looking at Rahab's faults. 
The second is we're going to be looking at things that were, were good about Rahab. And then the third is, why did God save her? So those three categories of things. And the question I want us to be thinking about today is, is God welcome in our homes? Is God welcome in our homes? Let's pray before we get any farther. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that, um, as one, one pastor said, we do not have to invite You to be with us, but You have invited us to be with You. This is Your house and Your presence has been here and we thank You so much for the opportunity of, of this communication that, that we can have this, this reassurance of salvation in our own lives and in our families' lives. Right now, I want to pray that you would send your Holy Spirit here. May that uh, seemingly cliche statement not be cliche when, when I say, hide me behind your cross. That through this foolishness of preaching, you would make manifest the Gospel to everyone here, including myself. I recognize I'm just a tool. We recognize that we are just tools. We are just clay in your hands. But Father, we pray that you would transform us into something beautiful. In your name, amen. So many of you know, um, some of you may know, I should say, I was a call porter. In fact, Brooke Lutz is a, is a pretty good friend of mine. I call portered with her. She's excellent. You're going to have a blast with her. But I call portered uh, in 2010 in Milpitas Salinas, and it was fun. It was good before I got started. You know, I remember being so excited about it, and every year the call porters were trying to get me, and I was working for uh, Joe Dorchuk, Dorchuk at the high, schooler, uh, high school, learning how to uh, do wheelies on the mower. Now Mr. Reeve knows. I can tell him now because I'm no longer employed there. But anyway, this is what I would do, but I'd always see this group of people, these call porters, and they'd be loading up their vans, and I'm trying to figure out what in the world they're doing. I finally hear what they're doing, and I'm just like, yes, soldiers for Jesus. I'm all about this. Let's do it. Um, and so I got signed up, and I got my, my, um, my placement. They told me where I was going to go, my acceptance letter. And I did something. Some of you may know my brother, Chad. I took the Uncle Arthur bedtime stories. I knew call porters at some time had sold those. So I, I got these Uncle Arthur bedtime stories. I put them in a backpack. I put the backpack on my back, took a couple books in my hand, and I actually had my brother slam the door in my face <laughs> 10 times, and then I'd run to the next door just so I could get the visual image in my mind that I was going to be rejected and I was going to have doors shut in my face. I knew it was a reality. And so I, I, I did that. I had my brother do that. And if anyone knows me, Godfrey and, and uh, Pastor Joe know I overdo things like with the, the obstacle course yesterday. Um, <laughs> so we, um, yeah. So I, I overdo things. We, we were all ready to go call portering, and I was so excited. And the, the thing that I loved about call portering was honestly just to be able to share Jesus with people. You'd knock on the door, you'd, they'd open it, they'd just start crying. I had like three people just open the door, start crying, and say, thank you, thank you, here's your money. It's like, you don't even know what this is. You don't even know. I remember this one lady, I opened the door and 
she just like, you know, or she opened the door rather, that's the way we like to do it. Um, she opened the door and she just kind of slumps on me. She just starts bawling. She starts telling me the story and she's just like, I knew that God sent you. And it's just like, this lady doesn't know me from the vacuum cleaner salesman. But God really does bless that ministry. One thing I found out rather quickly though, is about Christians. 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 I saw that WWJD bumper sticker on the back and I said, yes, going to get the great controversy, Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, and all the kids' books in this home. And they're going to be baptized Seventh-day Adventist Christians in six months, right? Knock on that door. Blankety, blank, 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 get out of here! Well, they must have been visiting them and they must have been gone. Okay. <laughs> Cross with John 3.16 written on it. No, no, no. Hey! Over and over again. Before I recognized it, I, I was still looking for the WJD bumper stickers and the John 3.16 things, but I, I was looking at them to avoid them, right? Um, I remember this one person, I was, I, I was canvassing and I had the great controversy in their hand. I was so excited they were going to get this book. They were about my age around 18 at that time, and their mom came out. And she was just, get out of here. What do you think you're doing? And I looked back, and I was just so full of it from the day. I looked back at her, and I said, don't reject Jesus. That probably, you know, I know that the Lord rebukes strongly sometimes. I think that was probably anxiety rather than the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And she turns around to me, and she says, well, are you Jesus? I said, no, but I'm one of his associates. And I said, well, I am too. I'm Christian. And then I looked back at her. I said, as you've done to the least of these, your brethren. I walked away. Sometimes people say, well, we've already found Jesus when you're knocking on the door. We, I already found Jesus. Well, why did you leave him there? It's like we have geo caching Christians. I remember the, the Reeve family, in case you didn't know, they were instrumental in bringing me up and, um, in, in, yeah, bringing me up um, into a Christian, Christian um, home and a Christian faith, and I, I can't thank them enough, but one thing that we love to do was geocaching, right? How many of us are familiar with geocaching? You find the little magnet or the little ammo box with all the goodies and you, you know. And sometimes I think some of these people have geocaching Christianities. It's like, oh, found Jesus. He's right there. Okay. It's like, I already found him. But it's funny because these people kept rejecting Jesus. They kept rejecting him. They said they had him, but they kept rejecting him. They didn't act like they have him. And just a preliminary question, how many of us have dealt so with someone knocking on our doors? I've done that. What if we made it a goal, just a question, what if we made it a goal to every time someone came to our door, what if every time someone came to our door, we made it a point to at least try to pray with them? We got out 
the chairs and the, the tables, and we poured them some lemonade, talked with them, asked them how they were doing. If they're, if they're Christians, fellow Christians doing door-to-door, what if you just said, praise God, you know, get, tell us some things. You read about Paul and Silas, and look, look what's happening with them, you know. Encouragement, encouragement, love, prayer. But we don't often do this, and I think this is a point to work on. Beside the point, that was me digressing. We're going to look at the story of Rahab. So let's turn to Joshua 2.1. And when you're there, say Maranatha. <laughs> Is Jesus coming soon? Do you believe it? Say Maranatha. Amen. Amen. Joshua 2.1. We're going to be looking at the story of Rahab. And Joshua the son of Nun, I always thought that was so sad, never growing up with any parents. Anyway, okay. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to, t- to search out the land. Okay, stop right there. First off, the first point that we're going to be looking at today is the negative things of uh, the ne- negative attributes of Rahab. The first is where is she from? She's from Jericho. How many of us know anything about Jericho? Joshua fit the, you know, fought the battle of. Yeah, so we, we, we know about Joshua. He's one of those great children's stories. You know, we, we, we see the priests with the, the, the trumpets and they blow the walls down. It's great. Or the power of God blows the walls down because they were faithful. So we see this story of Joshua and the spies and Rahab and we know that. But how much do we actually know about Jericho other than it was brought down? The answer is, archaeologically, there's, there's very little known about Jericho. If we turn to Spirit of Prophecy, you know what she says? She says it was the richest city in Canaan. It had the most pagan influences all around in patriarchs and prophets. This city, Jericho, was kind of the, the biggest of the bad apples. Not New York. No, just kidding. That Jericho was known as kind of the biggest of the bad apples. And something we need to grasp is that this land was very, very evil. I mean, think about it. Right off the bat, the only righteous person in the city is a prostitute. Okay, looking at that preliminary, preliminarily, the other thing that we don't grasp is the amount, the rampancy of evil that was going on in Canaan. A lot of us look at the stories of, of the genocides, quote-unquote. We look at those stories of where, you know, all these Canaanites, you know, were just mowed down by Israel. It's like, well, you know, God must have changed his mind somewhere, you know, when John was around, you know, writing God is love, because that doesn't look like love. Something that we need to keep in mind it is what was going on in Jericho. What was going on in Jericho? Jericho was a land of 
pure evil. Canaan was a land of pure evil. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham has his knife up in the air, and, and, and we're asking our questions, why did God bring Abraham to that point where he was going to sacrifice his son? Didn't I mean, if, if God asked me to sacrifice my son, I, I wouldn't do it, you know? I wouldn't do that. I guess I don't have a lot of faith. Well, you know, I think if God asks us something, we should do, do it. But we need to keep in mind, Abraham didn't know that that was wrong. You following me? Abraham, I'm sure, knew that it seemed unlike God. But Abraham didn't know what it was wrong at that point because you know what was going on all around him? Other people were getting their gods telling them, hey, why don't you kill your child? This was commonplace. In fact, that, that story of Abraham and Isaac is one of those stories that really speaks against human sacrifice because God stops him. But this is the point. Human sacrifice was rampant in Canaan. I think um, one of my, my Hebrew teacher, Dr. Jean Sheldon, lovely lady, she told us that in one town, um, they found over 2,000 urns of infant ashes. And here's something we need to keep in mind. There comes a point, there comes a point where when I can't hear the screams of my own children, that God has to step in and do something that might cause us a lot of pain. Can you picture that? There comes a point when we, if we get to the point where we can't hear the screams of our own children, the ones that we're naturally drawn to protect more than ourselves, right? How many of us here would die for our kids in a heartbeat? I don't have any kids, so I wouldn't, but I, I will, I will. How many of us, I would die for your kids, I'll say that, I'll say that. How many of us, how many of us, what would it take if we got to that point of not even being able to hear the screams of our own children? It's pretty dark. It's extremely dark. It's, it's the darkest thing when, when God's talking to, to um, Israel through the prophet Isaiah, he basically comes to the point where he says, this didn't even cross my mind. How did you get to this point? I am God. I'm eternal. And I didn't even think of this. How in the world did you get to this point? How are you this corrupted? Isn't that scary? Evil is scarier than, than, than God could imagine. That, that is, is absolutely despicable. So we need to keep that in mind. Rahab is not in a good place. She being a prostitute doesn't help either, right? In fact, some of her, child, her very own children could have been taken away in sacrifice. It's dark. This lady doesn't look too too promising as a hero for God, does she? The other thing was she lied. Let's keep going. We were in verse 
3, so let's start in verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at the dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them from the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So she lied. She broke the commandments of God another way. She, she was a liar. Was that or was that not against the Ten Commandments that the Israelites were keeping and to the point of, of putting other lawbreakers to death? Was it? Was that against the Ten Commandments? Yeah, it was. It was. She was doing it for what she thought was the right reasons, but she was still breaking the law. I think it, it really shows God's, God's greatness, His leniency towards us, that He... He didn't condemn her for that. He knew where she was at with him. It doesn't mean it wasn't wrong, but he didn't destroy her for that, right? He knew where she was. So she's got these three levels of destruction kind of going you know, against her. She's from Jericho. And then the second one, she was a prostitute. What's really interesting about that is what do you know about Rahab in verse or in verse 1, before you even know what her name is. She was a prostitute. So it's like, you know, she's, she's condemned. She's from Jericho, this really pagan evil land. She is a prostitute. And she's, you know, lying huge lies and, and putting her entire country to risk. She does not look like a potential hero from God, for God at this point. But let's look at something else. What about her good qualities? Maybe that's what recommended her to God. And Rahab does have good qualities. Let's, let's look at that. The first one, let me find my place here again. When she's talking to the Israelites, what does she say? Verse 8, But the men lay down but before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the Lord, or that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how your God dried up the, or dried up the water for the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what, did you, what, did to, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Shion and Og, who you devoted, devoted to destroy. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man. Because of you, for the Lord your God, He is the God of heaven and above and on the earth beneath. So what does she say to them? The first thing she does is, we fear you, right? And we fear God. Is that a good quality to have, fear, fearing God, right? That's a good quality. To fear God. It's the beginning of, of, of knowledge, right? The beginning of wisdom. To fear the, Lord, the fear of the Lord. We, we are instructed to fear the Lord. Fearing God is good. What else does she do? Even before she, she fears God, she believes in Him, right? She believes Him. She fears Him. 
And what's the other thing? The third one. What does she mention? In verse 11. What does she say? We believe in Him. We fear Him. In verse 11, what does it say? He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Your God is the God. Your God is the Creator God. These three points. Think about it. She believes. She fears the Lord. And what else? She believes He's the Creator. She believes that He's the God over everything. At this point, friends, she sounds like a good Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Yeah? She sounds like a very good Seventh-day Adventist Christian if we didn't know the other three things. She sounds like a good Seventh-day Adventist Christian. What does she do? Let's, let's repeat that again. She believes in God. She has faith in. And she believes that God is the Creator as well as the God over everything. These are three good points, right? Well, that's it. Those outweigh the wrongs that she did, right? Not to mention, she helped the people, right? So, so she has works in there too. She was demonstrating those things. Is that why she was saved? Is that why her family was saved? Remember, what's, what's our point? What is it that recommended Rahab and her entire family to God because of Rahab's, Rahab's actions? What was it? What was it? Obviously, the bad stuff didn't condemn her. She wouldn't have um, a place in Jesus' genealogy and she wouldn't be spoken of so highly here in Scripture. What was it that recommended her to God? Was it that she believed the right things? She believed the right things, right? Yeah, she had faith in God. You know, you know who probably one of the biggest believers in God is though? Satan, right? What is what is, uh, is, it, is it Peter? What does Peter say? Or James? Yeah, sorry. The book of James. What does James say? The demons also believe, right? So, what is it that Rahab had that recommended her to God? I also want to point out that these three areas, the, the believing in God, the faith in God, and what else? The believing God was the Creator was all throughout Jericho. That wasn't something that was only for Rahab. She welcomed who? She welcomed the spies. Okay, so she's a traitor. Put that on the bad, bad side, right? She welcomed the spies. And who were the spies from? They were from Israel, right? Whose authority did they have? They had the authority of God. In effect, when Rahab invited these 
enemy to her country, that they were enemies to her country, when she invited these spies into her home, who was she ultimately inviting in? She was inviting God there. This is simple, but we need to recognize it. It wasn't that she believed there was a God. It wasn't that she believed that God was capable of doing a lot of things. It wasn't that, that she believed that God created her and that she should keep the Sabbath. What did she have? She had God, or God's representatives, in her home. Let me ask you the question I asked at the beginning again. Is God welcome in your home? Not just the red books. The red books are wonderful. Amen? Conflict of the Ages series, oh, they're dear to my heart. Andrew's Study Bible, amazing. Glow tracks by the door, waiting for those, those Mormons to come by. Excellent. Casserole in the oven waiting for potluck. Yeah! But where's Jesus? Is Jesus living in your home? Rahab had a lot of bad attributes too, and we kind of covered those. We know that God is faithful to us, right? That God is not slack concerning His promises, right? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not going to condemn you for what you did. You condemn yourself for not having Him in your life. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you. You who are seasoned Seventh-day Adventist Christians who love the truth, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And let us not be overcome by spiritual pride. And those of us who are new, who are exploring the church, who have maybe been freshly baptized, maybe been wrestling with the idea of, of baptism, let us not let someone else chase us out of the church. One of the churches that I've worked at in the past, someone just called me and they said, two girls aren't going here anymore. We can't even reach them on the phone. They don't even respond to emails because someone told them that their skirt was two inches too short. Now here's the question. Whose fault is it that those girls aren't in the church? Great blame lies with the person who, who told them that their skirts were too short, right? But what was, what was the motivation for those girls going to church? I'm sure that it was Jesus. In fact, I, I know these two girls very well. I know it was Jesus, but they allowed themselves to be sidetracked. You will be insulted inside and outside the church, brothers and sisters. Do not let your Christianity be contingent upon what people say to you. Be here for Jesus. If Jesus is living in here, someone telling your skirt, telling you your skirt is two inches too short, yeah, it hurts. 
Let's be real. It's not going to drive you away from the feet of Jesus. Those of us who are seasoned Adventists, once again, let's not let spiritual pride hit us like that. And let's also recognize that in this church, uh, this is going to be a little, a little scandalous. We may have people who come in here whose skirts are four inches too short. And we're going to get to love them. Yes, we want that to change, amen? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young, in, in my 20s male. I definitely want that to change. But, what's our first prerogative? To show them Jesus. To show them that Jesus is living in our hearts. Or, or here's, here's a good one. This, this will get some of us riled up. What if an actively homosexual couple walks into the church? Amen! Praise the Lord! Come in! Do we want people to stay in a state of perpetual sinning? No. But we want to show them Jesus is here, right? We want to show them that Jesus is in this place. But let's go back to the original point. Is Jesus welcome in your home? Is Jesus welcome in your home? You want your children to stay in the home? Keep Jesus there too. Keep Jesus there too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for just that promise that we have that we have in 1 John 3 that, that tells us that if our, if our hearts condemn us, You are greater than our heart and You know all things. And if our heart does not condemn us, we still have confidence towards You. We're not, we're not drawn by the recommendation of our feelings that's not what draws us to You. Help us to remember our heart is deceitful above all things. And unless we have You living inside of our heart, we are on dangerous ground. Father, may we all have a red rope hanging from our window just as Rahab did. May we all have the assurance of salvation not because of how we believe in You, or not because, of, not because of, um, of, of the state of our believing in You. But, Father, let us also not be condemned for, for the, the things that we still need to change and work on in our lives. May we be recommended to You solely just because we allow You in. In Your precious name, Amen.